Informed Dissent, brought to you by Firearm Training Associates. Firearms Training Associates is, is a lucky company because we have been able to draft in some of the best instructors in the world. We have special operations guys, we have guys from the U.S. military, from foreign militaries that work for us. They provide a great deal of insight into self-defense. So we developed this so that our customers could come on the weekends and get the best training in the world. We pride ourselves on our civilian training. It's our armed civilian that's one of the most important things to us. We want to teach them how to survive dangerous situations. When you come through the course, as long as you're performing at a acceptable level, you're going to get a certificate that puts our stamp on it. And we take it serious when we put our stamp on there. When you get our gold label, that means that you've passed the class that you've attended. Firearm Training Associates, proud sponsor of Informed Descent. Find out more at ftatv.com. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Hey, Mark, welcome to another episode of Informed Dissent. Great to be with you. Good day, Jeff. Good day. We've got a great guest tonight, and I'm going to let you pronounce her name, but most people call her Dr. J.K., it's too long of a name for me to pronounce, and you're better with language. Jinanthi Kunathasan. There you go. Uh, she is a freedom fighter, originally from Malaysia, now lives in Australia. And she's got a story that is not that dissimilar from many doctors around the country, including our story uh, of being silenced and persecuted and tried to shut down for speaking out um, against the government. And so, JK, welcome to Dis Informed Dissent. Great to have you here. Thank you, Mark and Jeff. Um, and first of all, thank you for having me. And uh, first of all, I wanted to say thank you for speaking up because um, as I was telling your producer prior to this, like I was listening to y'all um, when I was being fired as well. And it gave me courage to stand up and to also, um, you know, un like it, it was such a testing time, the time of that, that the mandates rolled in and uh, whatever help and encouragement that we could get from wherever, it was actually very welcome. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you, JK. And you were listening to us from Australia. Yes, yes, definitely. Now, Mark, I can't remember. We had that Australian freedom fighter that was on the lamb in her RV cruising around trying to stay away from authorities. Who, who was that lady? I can't remember her name. She had a green screen. <clears throat> in her RV. And when she took it down, she basically showed us that she was living in this mobile camper and she couldn't disclose her location because she was afraid that the Australian police would catch up with her and put her in one of the concentration camps for being an anti-vaxxer. That's right. And Beth and Doc, uh, if you can on the chat, if you remember her name, uh, we can give her a shout out. Maybe she's uh, listening as well. Monica? Uh, man, I'm really bad with remembering names. It might have been. Uh, well, Beth or Doc will figure it out and we'll we'll send it to us. But so, JK, welcome. You're you're a physician. You're a doctor uh, in Australia. You work as an anesthesiologist, and um, you you've been under persecution, and they're trying to shut you down. Tell us a little bit about your story. Yep. So, um, I actually went to medical school in Malaysia, and uh, part of it that there's racial discrimination in Malaysia. So, part of my journey of wanting to come to Australia was I was being tired of being. Um, just judged based on my race and I wanted to be judged on my merit. So I came to take the Australian fellowship exam. And basically I told myself, you know, if I, if I 
take this exam and I pass it, you know, that's good. Because I think the pass rate was pretty, pretty uh, abysmal when you're coming from overseas. And um, so, and, and then I valued freedom because um, when I grew up in Malaysia, there was a lot of censorship and you definitely knew uh, where the authority lay and you definitely understood the power structure. Like, you know, you, you scare one person, you control a lot of people. So I came to Australia and I'm an anesthetist and perioperative physician and I was in regional Victoria. And I really enjoyed my career and my time and that journey of being judged on my abilities was pretty great. And, and then the uh, COVID came. And so for the first year of COVID, I was, um, when SARS-1 happened, I was a trainee doctor in Malaysia. And I remember an anesthetist in Singapore died. And here I am an anesthetist and I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to die myself. So the whole first year of COVID, I was very much into the narrative and um, um, I didn't really pay much attention. And I think it was Pierre Corey's speech and made me really look at ivermectin. And um, and then when things didn't add up and then didn't continue adding up, so that whole journey of 2021 was just looking at the um, evidence and thinking as a doctor reasonably, I would give it a go. And but it was not allowed. And then in the end, it was banned for COVID. And just so many things didn't add up. And so it came up to the point where. I'm here sitting and telling my employers, I'm, I'm a I was a senior anesthetist where I worked and I was like the first, I was a, for the longest time because it's regional Victoria, I was like the only female staff anesthetist in the hospital and I was like um, uh, uh, the chair of the advisory committee for Blood Matters Victoria and I was um, chair of the medical senior group in the hospital. So for two years, I sat in board meetings and listened to how things ran and, I, and part of me was like, oh my God, I can't ever go into management because I really want to do things. I just want to be close to patients. But I understood part of being in meetings was uh, to put forth doctors' concerns and hopefully, you know, we, we come up to better patient outcomes. So that was... It, but anyway, so, and I thought they wouldn't really fire me, you know, so I was like, it's a risk assessment. I just want to see what I thought they would have had, like, you know, this risk assessment ready for anyone who asked for a risk assessment, because I didn't think they would fire people without going through a risk assessment process. And because I was a prominent anesthetist, I thought they'll listen to me because I was trying to raise concerns. And I thought in my, in my naivety, I thought they may perhaps haven't come across this information. And lo and behold, like, you know, you watch a lot of, um, I could see it in my colleagues. Everybody was definitely in that narrative and everybody looked at me as if I had three heads. So, you know, it, I was fired. So that was it. But for the longest time, I was quiet. So when you come from a society where you're constantly censored, Part of the process is at some point, you don't think you have anything worthy of saying. And as a female anesthetist in regional Victoria, like for the, for three years when I first started uh, working in my place, I didn't say anything because it was part of, you know, like moving from Malaysia to Australia, just when you're chronically censored at some point, you tell yourself, I don't have anything worthy to say. So that whole year of... Um, 2022 was really behind the shadows and I joined the Australian Medical Professional Society because I was really, you know, when I saw the AMA, as remember, I was a doctor in leadership position. I encouraged my colleagues to join a union because I thought 
you know, we have to collectively put our voice so that we can improve things. And when I heard the president of AMA say we have to accept a suppression of rights, I was like, this is too slippery a slope. And another thing that they said was, you know, patients should... Uh, and, and JK, the AMA is the Australian Medical Association? Yes, yes. So, of course, we have an AMA, the American Medical Association. I was looking this up recently. It only represents, depending on the data, somewhere between 15 to 20% of physicians in the United States yet they speak as if they represent the majority and they don't. And it's the same situation in Australia. So, but like I was a card carrying member and I encourage people to join. And so for me to, like we had no home. If you are, because they seem to speak for everyone, if you're a doctor and you don't think like we should accept a suppression of rights in the pandemic. And remember I'm in Victoria. We had the police shoot unarmed people who were running away in the back in the name of the medical profession, if you profoundly Horrible. disagreed with that, you had no home. So that was that whole journey, you know, and and part of being fired as well after that was, you know, what do I do? Because for like for two years, I mean, like, you know, for, for all these years, you get up in the morning, you go to work and stuff and you have all of that. And for, and then you have like nothing to do. You, you, you know, I think I, I woke up in the morning for two months to get ready for work. And I was like, there's no work. They apparently can, the show can go on without me. And um, and then I joined the Daily Cloud. So right now I'm active in the Australian Medical Professional Society. And I'm also part of the volunteer effort that's worldwide, mainly in America, looking into the Pfizer docs. I want to assure you that you're not alone. There's many of us around the world that faced similar battles. And you know, I used, I used to look at Australia as if it was a freedom-loving country. I mean, heck, you got Olivia Newton-John and kangaroos and, um, and koala bears. And I, I used to think that it, was, that it was a freedom-loving country. But during the pandemic, the draconian measures that your government took was just beyond the pale. And we watched in horror as we saw what was going on with lockdowns that... Uh, even rivaled that of the Chinese Communist Party. And so I applaud you for standing firm and having the courage to stand up and to speak out and to fight. And speaking of that, I'd like to welcome our dissidents that are joining us on the Patreon ne network. The Patreon network is a non-censorship subscriber network uh, where you don't have to worry about your views being banned or censored. And we're proud to be part of this new network. And if you're listening live, welcome. Um, welcome to being a dissident, uh, outspoken person. We, we welcome you and we're, we're honored to have you. As well as our sponsor from Firearms Training Associates. Uh, they are um, a good friend of Informed Dissent and, and we're happy to have you as well. So, um, so are you able to actually work now as a physician, JK? No, no. So I can't do anesthetics. Um, so yes, it's um, it's terrible. And, you know, I've got anesthetic degrees from Malaysia and in uh, Australia. So I'm like a double anesthetist. So um, I liked it so much. I did the exams twice. So <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's something that really rankles for me. And um, and part of it as well is like, you know, I've been fired. So now I'm, I, I speak out and then because of that, I've had notifications of investigation from the Australian Health uh, Regulation Practitioner Agency as well. And um, 
So we'll see where that goes. How do you pay the bills? Um, yeah, so it's saving. So it's not like, you know, the best plan going forward. But um, so I was offered like um, a, a um, false vac certificate and things like that. But I didn't want to live that lie. So um, I've, I've just started doing really little, a little bit of telehealth. But my personality is like I want direct patient engagement. I'm I'm not like, you know, a telly and, and anesthetics is so like, you know, you're so hands on and you do everything. So um, it's not a sustainable plan going forward being this unemployed. But if you want it, like part of it is that I see this as a fight for the dignity and honor of the medical profession. So if you want it, and part of my speech that got me into trouble was I, there were people who are vaccine injured. And what happens here is that if you speak out and say it's for the vaccine, people lose their license. But what I was saying for the medical profession, it's not honorable that we just keep quiet and just tell people, oh, we can't tell you this causes the problem. Like I didn't think it was an honorable way of working. So we'll see where it goes in the united states depending on which state you live in and the and the medical board in that state they can try to take your license away that's the extent of the penalty they remove your license and obviously they uh, prevent you from making a living in the field that you're trained what's the penalty like in australia you just can't work so you really um you know so like you know i was fired from my job so it's hard to get references if you wanted to work elsewhere isn't it like it's so uh, generally we I, except for one state at the moment if you're a healthcare worker you have to be triple jabbed oh my gosh wow. how do you do what's the mechanism by which you're able to do telemedicine or telehealth via you know you you sign up and and you're able to like for i'm an anesthetist so i i, I see a little a very few patients um for for like pain related issues Sure, but it's sure. really not not what um uh as i said like i'm i'd rather be in hands-on practice being with uh, uh trainees seeing patients doing anesthetics that way because like you know i'm a perioperative physician i also was behind programs to improve patient care and things like that so i it's all turned upside down but the in because they threw us out of the workplace they will do anything not to allow us back in is there such a thing as private practice in australia where you could just open up your own shop and have patients come to you so the mandates also extend to private i see yes, that's insane so if one of our listeners wants to follow you and understand what you're doing are you on social media on Facebook or Instagram or some other mechanism? Yep. So uh, basically, I never thought I would do this because I always thought I was behind the scenes. A lot of anesthetists are very much behind the scenes. So I'm on Twitter as myself, Dr. J. Kunadasan. And uh, and I'm on Getter as well, jkun85. So, yep. Plan to stay in Australia or are you going to leave and come to the United States? Oh, <laughs> We'll see how we, you never know where the future is right now. The, what I realized in the fight is that you can't go anywhere. You got to stay and fight for what you believe is right. Like I'm in the most lockdown place in the world. You know, it was the most longest running, running lockdown. So um, right now it, the fight is where it is as much as, you know, the day before I got fired, I was thinking to myself, why am I the only person that thinks this way? I must be the only person. I've met more people. So we'll see where we go. 
Yeah, absolutely. I can, I mean, I can hear in your voice the stress and the difficulty and- uh, Would we want to be brave enough to talk about the reports I published? Oh, please do. Okay, so part of the daily cloud, um, uh, you know, we're looking in, into the Pfizer document. So when I signed up, I was like, never been involved in anything like this. I didn't think, um, uh, you know, we'd ever get, um, be able to find anything. But what I did, I was behind the publication of the report. So the, did you know that the Pfizer EUA, it was basically on the results it's a pretty of small sample size patients yeah so basically um the that was the efficacy criteria like you know they yes they said they wanted a drug that was safe and effective the effective part of it was based on the results just of 170 patients so i found the 170 patients and published a report on the daily cloud website and basically i wanted to talk about whether um, you know, a lot of people now say, you know, you're seemingly at this point where there's so many adverse events and we, nothing seems to put a stop to this uh, uh, rollout. And um, but a lot of people say it's 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 like a performance, like you know, like they're, they're forces behind beyond our control. But the actual, if it was all theater the rollout and the accrual of the 170 patients was the actual performance and part of my report and i thought and, and i really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it is that the rollout there was a lot of inconsistencies between what was said publicly when they accrued the 170 people versus when you get the actual data and you can actually plot out the actual date that they were diagnosed so when um, we, when and this is going back two years, so they only publicly announced they had enough cases diagnosed, 94 cases on November the 8th. But we showed that when we actually plot the actual approval, they uh, um, got enough patients diagnosed at least by 31st October, 1st of November. So the question is, why didn't they announce that they had enough cases uh, 1st of November, 2nd of November? And so there are a lot of inconsistencies in the public statements put out and when the actual cases uh, were actually diagnosed. And that was part of my latest Spectator article uh, that came out on the 4th, 24th of Sept uh, March. And then four days later, I get another notification from the health practitioner agency. So it's when they, when they, what I'm trying to say is there were probably political forces in the, in the rollout of the vaccine approval that bears scrutiny because the, the contract between, uh, Pfizer and the government was that a vaccine was going to be delivered by the 31st of October. So the number that was going in between the interested parties as to how many cases you've accrued was actually quite important. And there seemed to be a suppression of the fact they had enough cases accrued by at least the 1st of November and it was suppressed right up till uh, the 8th of November. And we have to remember that the trial was going on and the first time they did an interim analysis was the 8th of November and they managed to get enough patients and close the trial by uh, 14th of November, like six days later. 
So there's a lot of stuff that I think is worthy of scrutiny, at least worthy of a conversation. And um, I'm asking if there was, um, you know, a lot of interference in the vaccine announcement. Yeah, and you mentioned adverse effects in some of your investigation. And my understanding too is once they claimed efficacy, they then unblinded the study and administered the vaccine to the control groups so that there is no control group moving forward. Yep, it was only out of like the 22,000, only about 1,500 uh, ended up being the real control group. But, um, and a lot of the, what happens is that a lot of things get classified or in like 10 different ways. So it's hard for you to pierce and get the signal. But um, uh, hopefully the further reports will elucidate that. But the point is on the 170 patients, even for the publications I published, there was a cherry picking of those patients because proportionately more vaccinated people were excluded from the final data than uh, the placebo. So the final um, 170 that made it to the list upon which the EUA was approved, one of the 170 didn't even receive the correct dose of the drug. And they changed the dosing interval uh, inside the trial. Like, um, and, and there's so many inconsistencies in the document. Like they said the dosing interval between dose one and dose two was three weeks in actual effect to recoup probably about 1,400 patients, they widened the dosing interval from three weeks to six. So this is the first time you're giving the drug. How does it affect your efficacy of the drug? There's no phase one data of a dosing interval of 30 mics six weeks apart. You know, and the what they said were protocol deviations suddenly didn't become protocol deviations and they were withdrawn patients as well withdrawn before the approval of the EUA that they included in the 170. So the 170 themselves have a problem. Like, you know, one of them didn't even receive the correct dose of the drug. Like this is, for me, part of looking into this is like, I want doctors to understand this is exactly what you're defending. Um, you know, a trial with this many uh, inconsistencies, even in at this you know very superficial level of looking at like did they follow the rules they said they would do you know they someone one didn't even receive the correct dose uh five of them the dosing interval was way out uh another one had a protocol deviation they were withdrawn patients this is exactly what you're defending when you say it's evidence-based medicine and that was impetus in me continuing to be part of this project to highlight to other doctors this is what you're defending when you, you you allow your colleagues to be thrown out of the building you're listening to dr jk from australia she's an anesthesiologist who has been fired and censored for speaking out against covid and you're listening to us on the patreon network so thank you to the patreon uh dissidents uh, that are uh, joining us and so um I hope that as this investigation, or I hope investigations move forward, and that you'll be called to the American Congress to testify, to share with the public and, and our um, legislators what, what you've learned, because the whole thing was corrupt and rolled out in a political way from a pharmaceutical profit motive, not from a public health motive, unfortunately. Are things easing up in Australia? and? Are there any people in your government that are interested in 
talking and listening to you? Yes, so it's improving. It's improving, but like you know, the mandates are still in for healthcare professionals and part of it for me is like healthcare professionals need to be able to stand if they can't advocate for their own health, there's no long-term data on one dose. They've taken two doses in close timing, three doses in close timing. This ends when we all stand up in in a sense. And Part of it is healthcare workers actually have to advocate for their own health, but it's an uphill battle because, as I said, they stood by and watched us being thrown out. For me, the ethical issues, like I just couldn't believe I'm here in Australia and in, I'm being fired for standing up for informed consent. But if you even buy in, not you, if you don't want to think about the ethical issues and you're too uncomfortable, just on the evidence, there's so much to 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 talk about but even if you want to accept the evidence wherever way you want to accept it you don't actually even know the long term healthcare effects to your own self like you've signed up and taken three doses in such a short space of time where's australia now with the mask mandates it's generally come off there's, there's very little mask wearing there are some uh, but I, it, it's not enforced to the same extent so they they're very much hanging on the fact that the vaccine mandates are a requirement to work in health. So JK, something's happened here, which doesn't seem to have happened in Australia, which is that the US government has quietly abandoned the so-called, and I always say so-called because it's not a vaccine, the so-called vaccine program, uh, tacitly admitting that it was a failure, that they're ineffective and that they carry significant health risks. But from what I understand, based on what you just said, the Australian government is not doing that. They're doubling and tripling down on shot requirements. And it seems like the government itself in Australia is still pushing for these damaging health practices. Whereas right now in the US, it's really voluntary. If you wanna go and inject yourself with poison or you wanna wear a face diaper, nobody stops you. The government certainly doesn't encourage it anymore. Um, Although there are a few exceptions here in LA County, for example, if you're a healthcare worker, whatever that means, it's very ambiguous, you have to wear a mask. But outside of that, basically, it's all up to you. Is it correct to say then, from what you're saying, that the Australian government is still top down imposing a lot of professional requirements and mandates on the people and not giving them the, the, the choice to uh, pull away from them? So generally, vaccine mandates have fallen off uh except in health so other that's, that's why yeah yeah so the exception is health and it's maintained still and 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 the way i look at it as long as you justify it for healthcare workers they feel they can keep justifying it and for so for me that's why i keep saying healthcare workers need to understand like they've probably you know the younger ones haven't thought about the impacts to their fertility the older ones and, and and like you know they have taken three doses without knowing the long-term side effects of you know even one dose but let alone three so but it's and the thing is that they've thrown people like me out of the building so there's no interaction there's that polarization that that doesn't allow for that interaction or that thought process so it's still largely maintained in the healthcare profession except in one or two states mark and i are pretty proud that our podcast is carried around the world um including australia and so we've got a lot of listeners that are looking for hope what is your message to them to fellow physicians and patients and folks around the world 
that are still scratching their head wondering what the heck happened. So I think Ed, we are at a point where all those physicians who think like we do, uh, but are still a lot of feeling as if they're straddling two worlds, like, you know, I'll help you in pi- private, but I really won't come out. At this point, I think we just all have to come out. And, and um, you know, quite a lot of us have taken a lot of people before me, and I really pay homage to all of those who were brave to speak when I wasn't brave to speak. But we just have to start actually taking a stand. And I do this because, you know, um, I think common sense has gone out of medicine, it seems. And we've gone to an overreaction of the most extreme response. I think I saw some journal articles saying, yes, these complications are accepted from vaccination and then we have to figure out how to give anti-clotting drugs. But, you know, we don't ask the primary question, do we need the procedure in the first place? And so we have to actually stand up for our profession. And it is scary. It is scary facing that um job loss and stuff, but we have to do it for our patients. So I would encourage those who feel like we do. And I think they might, the numbers will be growing. Even if you're wondering, you know, if you're even wondering what these shots do to me, it's time that you stand up and you just never know how many people feel similar. And, and then we'll see what happens. It only, uh, it only stops when we actually uh, push back and you don't have to be revolutionary. All you have to do is actually ask your employer who is requiring this, what's the risk assessment? Let's have that conversation and see what happens next. So that's what I would encourage. Um, I feel a lot of the members of the public have moved on. They've sort of figured out something's not quite added up, but, you know, so much of the power structures were so invested it is even i feel i'm not sure what happens when the truth if it ever gets out fully appreciated but healthcare workers at this point really need to f- understand you know it's first do no harm you cannot assess harm if you're not assessing risk at the very least you need to start asking for that absolutely well dr jk the message i hear from you is that this stops when we all when we um, stop allowing it to occur. When we push back and we say, okay, we gave you a chance, we're done. We're no longer complying. We're no longer going to allow you to control our life. And um, I, I think that's an important message uh, because had we pushed back early on, uh, I think this never would have escalated to the point that it, that it got to. So listen, thank you so much for, enjo- for joining Informed Dissent. We appreciate your voice. You are a true dissident. And thank you for joining us on Patreon Network as well. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.